Hello, reader. I'm Alex. I'm Kelly. And this is the LitJoy Podcast. This episode is brought to you by LitJoy Crate's holiday events. All through November, December, readers can shop new gifts for readers in their life or for yourself and can shop special sales events. The holiday season is literally our favorite time of year at LitJoy. Myself and Kelly work with our team year-round to bring to life the perfect gifts for readers. If you're a fan of Sarah J. Moss, we have lots of items available, but new this season is the Throne of Glass Key. For classic book lovers, we've released the LitJoy edition of A Christmas Carol, and there's a darling door knocker ornament that can correlate with it. And perhaps the thing that we're most excited about is our paper art edition of Alice in Wonderland. There will be special discounts happening throughout the month of November and December, so please keep checking back in. If you're a listener tuning in when it's not the holiday season, don't worry, we've got you covered. You can use the code PODCAST10, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0, at litjoycrate.com slash podcast anytime for 10% off. So PODCAST10 is a 10% off discount that doesn't expire, and the way to navigate to our website is litjoycrate.com slash podcast, L-I-T-J-O-Y-C-R-A-T-E dot com slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T. That's where you can find everything we talk about on the podcast as far as products and sales events go. And of course, all of this info will be in the show notes. Today, we are welcoming Susie Townsend, a literary agent to chat with us. Susie Townsend is the vice president and literary agent at New Leaf. Prior to joining New Leaf, Susie graduated film school, earned her master's of education, taught high school English, and coached a swim team. In her spare time, she read everything she could, which prompted her move to publishing. She got her start as an intern at Fine Print Literary Management, where she was hired as an assistant before making the move to literary agent. She's been part of the New Leaf Literary and Media team since its inception in 2012. Susie represents all brands of children's and adult fiction. She loves women's fiction, narrative nonfiction, memoir, and debut fiction. On the children's side, she is interested in select young adult and middle grade. Susie loves strong characters and voice-driven stories that break out the typical tropes of their genre, and she's always looking for unique new voices and stories. Welcome, Susie. We are so excited to have you on the LitJoy podcast and to chat with you today. We're going to jump right in. Um, We kind of read your bio, so everybody knows a little bit about your bio. But I think we are interested to hear more about your journey on becoming a literary agent. What inspired you to do that? I know it wasn't a linear journey, so maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I um, when I graduated college, I, I really had no idea that literary agent was a job. Um, and so I, I became a high school English teacher, uh, kind of, cause I was like, what do I do with my English degree? And I taught high school English for, for six years. And at one point I had a, a section of, of juniors in high school. And we talked a lot about, um, you know, career paths and like, what would they study in college and like, what things did they want to do? And I used to always tell them like, if you like think about something you love to do and like what would what kind of job would pay you to do that and at one point a student was kind of like you know oh so when you thought about this you were like oh i just really love teenagers <laughs> like dealing with us <laughs> and i was kind of like it's definitely not how i ended up in this job and i i thought about it and was kind of like gosh i just love to read like what would pay me to read. Um, and at the time I didn't really have an answer for that. Um, and I was, I was teaching in California and we were so fortunate in my school district at one point that like my English classes were all like 20 students or less. They were so nice. And then the school district's funding got cut. And so suddenly it was like, oh, actually now your classes are going to be 30 students, which meant that we had too many English teachers. And so there was a lot of talk about like what was going to happen and were teachers going to get fired and things. And I just kept thinking about it and sort of thinking like, I don't really like what I'm doing. Like, it's fine. I love my students, but I don't know that I want to do this forever. Um, and at the time, my sister was very... uh 
she was a couple years younger than me and she had started a job at McGraw Hill and she was doing textbook publishing. And she was talking a lot about what she was doing, about like talking to professors and putting together curriculum. And I was like, oh, I love curriculum. Like I could do something like that. And so I just decided that I was going to try to switch careers. And I, I like picked up my four dogs at the time, uh, towed my car behind me, drove across country in a 14 foot truck, got to New York and was like, here I am, which was looking back a rather naive decision. But, um, but I got there without a job and I thought like, well, I've saved money and I, I should be fine to like figure out what I want to do. And like, I have about a year to figure it out. And if I have to go back to teaching, I can. That I definitely did not have that much savings. It was probably like maybe six months max. But at the time I thought like, oh, I've got plenty. So I started applying to jobs in textbook publishing. Uh, what I didn't know back then was that textbook publishing is not very big and that it was at the time, I mean, this was back in like 2008, 2009. So it was like right around the time that was like the housing market crash and <laughs> like recession. And so a lot of places weren't hiring. So I did some informational interviews and, and definitely felt like, oh, I could definitely do this job. but. I couldn't find a job. I also like I had a master's in teaching. So it was like a weird kind of thing of like, I'm not right out of college anymore. Um, and so I so I just ended up looking on bookjobs.com and I found a an internship at a literary agency that was unpaid. Uh, and it was, you know, kind of like you'll read manuscripts. And I was like, oh, well, I'll I'll start here. Yeah. Maybe I'll try to get this and then I'll meet people and figure out how to get a job that way. And so I, you know, coming from teaching, I took this application process very seriously. Um, and I went in for an interview in like a pantsuit. I got there like 20 minutes early. I had read four books from the agency website. Yeah. Uh, the girl who interviewed me was probably my age, if not younger, she was wearing jeans and a band t-shirt. And she only asked me four questions. The first one was like, do you like to read? So I was like, yes. She was like, <laughs> could you read stuff that's like bad? And I was like, I was a high school English teacher. I could read anything. So after a couple more questions, she was like, okay, when could you start? And I was like, tomorrow. So that was how I got that job. And within the first week, I was like, oh, I found my people. Like, screw textbooks. Like, this is what I want to do. Um, there was an agent there. Her name is Colleen Lindsay. Um, and she works, she's works in publicity now, I think, but she, she asked me when I, my first day, she was like, what do you like to read? And I said the thing that probably every intern in publishing has ever said, which I was like, any, I'll read anything. Uh, and she was like, no, no, no. What are the last five books you read? And I was so embarrassed to tell her the answer because it was all like vampire romance or like, like, you know, like science fiction. Like it was all genre stuff and coming from the world of like academia, that was, you didn't tell people that (laughs) you, you read what you wanted to read, but you didn't tell people like, Oh, I just read all the Sookie Stackhouse. So I was like so embarrassed, but I couldn't think of anything you know, to tell her that was different. So I told her and she was like, oh, that's amazing. You can read for me. And like, just the difference in that reaction, I was like, this is, I, this is where I'm meant to be. And so I really learned everything about what an agent did while working there. I, I really had no idea. Um, and in the beginning I just read manuscripts and I read, I would read probably about an average of two manuscripts a day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'd write up notes about like, kind of like what was my short synopsis of it and what did I think the strengths and like weaknesses were. Um, And then I would pass that on with the manuscript to the agent um, who, whoever had been queried with it and then just kind of go on to the next one. And I didn't really see much more of the process, but I loved doing that. Like, and I, I definitely feel like, if that was still a job where I could make a lot of money, I would do that. I know. I have those moments where I'm like, I wish I could just go back to like kidding boxes. Like I would just show up and put an audiobook on and kit box. Like I have that nostalgia for like 
back. Remember when? Like our roots, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know. Absolutely. Um, did, were there any of those manuscripts that you read that made it to publication that that you like people would know about? Or were they a lot of manuscripts that were just kind of ended up staying in the slush? Or like, how did that whole thing work out? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it was really interesting because I definitely read a lot. You know, I, th- at the agency that I was at, there were about like seven full-time agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the most part, I really did read a lot um, for for Colleen Lindsay um, because she was a genre person like me. But I also read for some of the other agents. Um, and I actually, I read a Victoria Schwab's The Near Witch Okay. Um, yes. Back before before it had a publishing deal, and I remember reading that, and actually reading the book that I believe came before that one that I don't know that was ever published. But I remember reading like those early books and being mm-hmm. like, "Oh my gosh, she's so good." Yes. Um. So I definitely like that was a big one that I was excited about. Um. And then um, there was a urban fantasy. I'm actually forgetting the name of the title now because the title changed, but it was the author. Her name was Kelly Gay and it was her first book. And I read that in the slush and said to Colleen, like, oh, this is really good. Like, you'll really like this. And she did. And she signed it. And I, you know, felt like, yeah, but I still like I loved being able to read the things early and and be like, oh, I really like this. Yeah. Um. So, so that was really fun. Okay. So we were just chatting about like you getting into being a literary agent and that whole process and beginning that, the reading. And we talked about like the slush pile, Mm -hmm. which, um, what is the slush pile for those who don't know? Yeah. Uh, let's just talk about that. A few of the terms. Yeah. So it's so interesting because I started long enough ago that so much of everything we did was on physical paper. So it's so it was like a, the slush pile when I first started was literally an actual pile. Oh my gosh! Of of letters <laughs> that people had sent in, and sometimes they were sending just like you know your standard like business envelope yes. with the query in it, um, and sometimes they were sending a bigger like Manila envelope, and sometimes it was like a box. Like sometimes we got <laughs> some interesting interesting things, but it was. It was basically like a query that someone was sending with a description of what their book was about uh, in the hopes that we would request to read more. And at that time when I started, I I literally would go (laughs) into like a closet and pull out a stack of envelopes, put them on a table and just open each one and read a little bit. And then we had um, we had a form response that was either like, oh, I'm so sorry, like this isn't right for us. Mm-hmm. Or we had one that was like, we'd love to request this. And um, and I would put it, I would basically take whichever one I thought and put it in the self-addressed stamped envelope to send back. And so if I was requesting something, like you had to wait for that whole mail process. <laughs> oh, wow. And so it was at one point, one of the agents was like, hey, I'm switching my process. Like no more, I'm not going to get any more paper queries. I'm just going to go to email. And I remember being like, that's a great idea. Why don't we all do that? (laughs) Um, So so now it's definitely much more of a like, it's either just like in someone's email, it's like a list of all the queries. um, Or there are there have popped up like a couple different like websites, and like platforms where people can submit their query to multiple agents. There's one called Query Manager that we've actually just started using. I haven't done that much in it, so I don't entirely know how it works. But basically, <laughs> it's the same idea as the emails of like people are writing in and they're sending their you know description of their book and they're hoping that it's going to catch the agent's interest and that we're going to request it. And so it's all unsolicited. I I feel like Hollywood yeah. is very different. You usually have to like have an in somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but books are not like that at all. I would say that probably the major the vast majority of authors that I signed came in via unsolicited queries, like through the slush pile. I can just imagine if I was like back in the day trying to let's say submit something in an envelope, like you were saying, I'm like, 
I'd be like putting little like glitter in there. It'd be like spritzing. I'm like, they will not forget this. <laughs> I'm imagining you get some interesting things back in the day when that's how it was coming in and yes. out. So One that was very unfortunate that I actually just talked to <laughs> to my office about because someone was asking about it, things like this. But I got a huge box one time and it had like a really nice purse in it. Oh. Uh, and the manuscript was in the purse and then it had, um, it had tissues in case I cried while waiting. Oh, it was an experience. It had some tea that I could brew. And they curated a query. Like it, yes. It, like it was a whole, That's and cute. it was huge. It was a really big box and I opened it up and it was a memoir, which was not right for me. But the most tragic thing about it is that the person had sent this from like a, mailboxes, et cetera, like, which I think is now a UPS store. And they had not included their contact information. Oh no. So there was actually no way to be in touch with them, even to be like, I like this. Thank you. And I was like, oh, I feel so terrible. Like they basically just gifted me this handbag. And like, I can't even get back to them and be like, I, do you want me to send it to somebody else? Oh no. Like Uh, we need to like send into the universe. Like if this is you and that was your query. Yeah, like reach out to us, (laughs) or if nothing else, enjoy the story. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, I definitely was like, oh, I feel really bad that I can't get back to them, but there was just no, there was no contact information. Yeah, I'm like, I love these stories. This is great. Yeah, they put so much thought into everything, but then forgot about that, and I was like, ah, that that feels like (laughs) something I would have done. You're like also (laughs) on brand. Um, I am curious. Has there ever been um? I want to kind of ask more of like a personal question because you mentioned that you are a reader, that you're an avid reader and that, you know, that's that's really what you wanted to get paid to do is read. And so I am curious, um, what book or books do you feel like impacted you the most as a reader and then as a literary agent, if those are the same or different? Yeah, I mean, as a reader, I Alice Siebold's memoir, uh, Lucky, was a, a book that just impacted me so much when I was in college. And it, it was just such, it's beautifully written. Um, and it was just such a compelling story that I think is, you know, all too familiar in ways uh, for a lot of women at that age. And so that was, that was a good one for me to read. Um, and then on like a more lighter note, I read Elizabeth Hayden's series, Rhapsody, mm-hmm. the, or I guess the series is Symphony of Ages and the first book is Rhapsody. And it, I think, I don't know if it was published. It might have been published in the early 2000s or like the late 90s. I'm not sure, but it, I believe it was published by Tor. But I, um, it was actually a student who had, had been reading it and he was a very, He's a very sweet kid. He was a 10th grade. Um, he like kind of hadn't found his friend group yet. And so he used to ask if he could eat lunch in my classroom, like after English class. And I had said, sure. And so he would sit in, in my classroom and like read and eat lunch. And he would inevitably start talking to me about whatever he was reading. And when he was reading that series, he was like telling me all about it and how great it was and everything. And, you know, I was, also trying to eat at work. So like, I would be like, kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Um, and so I, I had not thought to myself, oh, I, I need to read this. But right before Thanksgiving break, he brought in the first book and was like, I brought this for you to read while you're on your vacation. And I was like, oh, thank you. And so I had thought to myself like, okay, I'll, I'll read a little bit of it. I have this flight that I'm going to take. Um, so I'll, I'll read a little bit of it so that I can talk to him about it. And like, then I'll just, I'll do something else. And instead I read almost the whole book on the flight. I was like so engrossed in it. Mm-hmm. And so that when I landed and my sister was picking me up at the airport, I got into her car and I was like, Hey, so we actually have to stop at a bookstore because I have to buy books two and three because yes. I have to read them. Like I can't, I can't not, I can't just stop after this one. Um, and so when I got back, I gave the book back to him and I was like, 
I was not expecting this. Like, you know, it's like one of those covers or there's like a kind of cheesy looking dragon on it. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, and so like, I just was not expecting it to be something that I was going to be really into. And I actually, like, I can look back at that and be like, that was the first moment that I was introduced to romanticy because it's a fantasy, but there is a strong romantic thread through it. You know, it's, it's not Sarah J. Moss or anything, but it is definitely like romanticy. Mm-hmm. And I remember after reading that series being like, how do I find other books like this? My dad read Tolkien to me when I was a little kid. Uh, yeah. and my mom had to work nights. So I had always liked fantasy, but I had a lot of the fantasy that I had read. I had just kind of been like, well, it's just like Tolkien, but not. Um, and so I had never really gotten into the genre as much as I probably wanted to. And then, um, so then reading this and being like, oh, this is different. Like I can, you can certainly see inspirations from Tolkien and you can see Mm -hmm. fantasy, like there's fantasy tropes that are in there, but the, the romance was such a different angle. And I was like, oh, like this is, how do I find more of this? And from, from that and like, probably getting on Amazon and like looking around a lot. Mm-hmm. I ended up discovering like Jacqueline Carey and Sharon Shin and other authors that were also doing that sort of same kind of fantasy romance um, and getting really into those books. So, and then of course that led me then to like paranormal romance yes, the slippery uh, and slope. my urban fantasy, <laughs> which is then how I ended up, you know, being a teacher and being like, oh no, I just read a bunch of vampire books over the summer. What am I going to tell people? <laughs> That's funny. I'm like, I think it's so funny that um, or it's interesting hearing your perspective from like an academic and how you felt like the shame for reading those books because I can tell you that the paranormal like romanticy is literally what got so many women our age reading mm-hmm. mine and Kelly's like friend groups and extended friend groups it was like twilight and then now we're yeah. seeing it again with Akatar is like a whole new generation that it's like their introduction books. They're like mm-hmm. gateway books into like, welcome to the side of fun reading. Like, yes. And yes. I love it so much. Yeah. And I mean, I like, I'd always been a big reader. Like I was one of those kids that like, I read every book that we read in school, even the ones that I was like, eh, I don't love the Scarlet Letter, but like, I still read it. Yes. Um, and, and I, I liked talking about like the themes and the different things like that. And so so like, but at the same time, you know, it's really easy now to look back and, and be like, oh, I would have been so much more into it if we were reading things that were like a little more contemporary. And mm-hmm. as a teacher, like, but I, I was at a school where our curriculum was like pretty strict, but I can certainly look back at some of the kids that weren't readers and be like, they weren't readers because they hadn't found the right book, you know, and they didn't want to read Jack London or Nathaniel Hawthorne. Like they would have loved reading like John Green or something else, you know? So I, I, I'm glad, I'm glad that books are picking up new generations of readers like after they're out of school. And I am glad that like, I do think a lot of school districts are talking more about what books are in the curriculum. But I I think that for someone who isn't a reader, they just haven't found the right thing to read yet. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. we. That's like a personal challenge of Kelly's. I'm all challenge accepted. I will figure this out. (laughs) 100%. I love hearing about all of like your origin story and the roots of like where you started. And if it's okay, I want to ask like another question in that same vein of like, do you remember the very first author that you ever signed? Oh, yes. Um, I was like, or like any really standout moments. So I want to hear all about that. Yeah. So I went from being an intern to an assistant and the agency that I was at like they had a lot of agents who did nonfiction or adult fiction and, but they didn't really have anyone who was doing a lot of like commercial children's books. Um, and they didn't have anyone doing YA. And so, uh, my boss got a query one time for a par- paranormal romance. It was called Personal Demons by Lisa de Rocher. And it was, uh, a girl who basically like there's a new guy who comes to school and, it, in fact, he's a demon, but like she, he's like, you know, he's interesting and, you know, 
she starts to fall for him. And then this other new guy comes to school and she doesn't know it, but he's actually an angel. And they're basically like competing over her soul. But they, of course, they both fall in love with her and it's a whole love triangle and everything. And I read it and was like, this is so good. I, like, I know teenagers. The voice here is great. This would work so well in YA. Um, you have to take this on. And he was kind of like, uh, it's not really my thing. And I was like, yeah. no, 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 this will sell. It's really good. You should take it on. And he was kind of like, uh, like, okay, I'll, I'll look at it. But then like every day after that, I was like, did you read it yet? Did you read it yet? <laughs> and finally at one point he was like, you know, if, if you want to just talk to the author, like if you want to take this on, like you can. Um, and I think I hadn't been working for him that long. And I think that he thought, she had a couple other offers and I think he thought that she would talk to me and be like, I'm going to sign with someone else. And that it just would be like a learning experience. Yeah. Uh, but we had a really good phone call and she did end up signing with me and I was so excited. And so then I, I submitted it um, to editors. I think we did a round of edits first, but I submitted it to editors and um, we had two editors who were interested. So we had like a small auction and, um, and I sold the book in a three book deal and I was Ooh, very excited. Yeah, congratulations. And That's so I fun. Know. <laughs> and my boss afterwards was like, oh, like, yeah, if you want to sign <laughs> clients, oh, that's like, fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think, it, I think it was kind of like, he was like, oh, you did actually know what you were talking about. Good. Like, great. If you want to sign a couple clients and sell projects, great. And it was funny because I hadn't really, up till until that point, I hadn't really thought about actually becoming an agent myself. Like I had gotten a job as an assistant, but I had always thought of myself as someone who like wasn't really a good salesperson. And I think I just was thinking of like, you know, <laughs> telemarketers or like, you know, things like that where like I wouldn't be good at selling something I didn't love. Yes. Um, but I think in, in the book world, right? Like we've all been in those moments where you're trying to convince a friend to read something that you really love and you're like telling them about the book and being like, you have to read this, like hurry up and read it soon. And I kind of feel like that's the first part of my job as an mm -hmm. agent is basically doing that to editors being like, I have this really great book. I know you're going to love this. Please read it right now and kind of convincing them. And then, you know, ultimately the manuscript is going to really sell itself. Um, so I think that that was something that I hadn't quite thought about until really that moment. So I always tell people I kind of fell into agenting because I never expected really to go that way. I think if you'd asked me then, I would have said like, I see myself as becoming an editor at some point. Okay. Yeah. But then, um, but then when this happened, I was like, oh, never mind. I, I do want to take on this author because it's so good and I know it'll sell. Um, and then when it did well, I was, I was like, Oh, okay. I can sell books. Yeah. So I'm like, I got the chills kind of when you're talking about that because there is something like so relatable about that hustle and about somebody giving you a chance, like kind of faking it until you mm -hmm. make it. And so, yeah, yeah, you're, you're kind of like, you're kind of like, oh, no, I, I totally know what I'm doing. Like, you should trust me. But deep down, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I care a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I love that hustle. Um, so it sounds like this is a part of the process that I don't think a lot of people actually know about. They know about like querying an agent. And once they get an agent, it's kind of like this big, like, ah, I have an agent now. But uh, yes. then the process starts with trying to take your book to market and selling it. And can you tell us a little bit? I mean, it sounds like you pitch the manuscript to the editor at the publishing house. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that process is actually very clear to people on the outside. It's kind of like um, who at a publishing house even receives these pitches? Like, do you all sit in a conference room and talk about it? Is it all, you know, those are kind of the questions that I think people have as they're aspiring writers. Yeah, no, of course. Um, yeah. So I, I pitch to editors directly and, you know, at every publishing house they have, usually they have like different imprints. Um, and the imprints are, you know, like your, I'm trying to think like, uh, something like, you know, Delacort yeah. books for young readers versus like Knopf books for young readers. And those imprints often like have like slightly different identities. Mm -hmm. I think that most, most publishers, right? They want 
well-written books that are also have commercial appeal. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of like across the board. But I do think like some, some books, like sometimes you'll read something and you'll think like, oh, this is really literary. Like this editor at Knopf, like would totally love this. Okay. Whereas like other, other times you might think like, oh, this is so commercial. I could totally see this on Delacorte's list or something like that. Like sometimes there are those little differences. Um, but a lot of times like I'm thinking about, okay, so I love this manuscript. What editors do I know or what imprints do I know that where I think this book would fit really well? And at those imprints, which editors do I think might really love this or are looking for something in this genre? Maybe if it's, you know, right now, if it's fantasy, like, what editors don't have a big fantasy on their list yet or or have some, a series that's like about to wrap up or sometimes you're even thinking like oh this editor just moved from penguin random house to harper and they don't have a bunch of books on their list yet so they're like really looking for things so you're trying to take all of those things into consideration and think about who you want to send the manuscript to um most of the time when i send out a manuscript I am trying to connect with editors before just shooting them an email. You know, back in the before times, before COVID, a lot of that was going to lunches. Like I would go to three or four like lunch or coffee meetings with editors every week. Um, and so I would have a list of things, a list of manuscripts that were like, maybe not ready yet to send out, but like we were editing and we were close. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would talk about projects that were upcoming and I would tell the editor like, Ooh, you know, I think you would love this. And you always, like, I always knew like, I'm doing a good job describing the book. If afterwards the editor's like, Oh, I'd love to see that. Like that's yes. always what you want to hear. And so like, you know, I would keep track of like who I met with and who I talked to about the book and things like that. And then when it was ready, I would email them with kind of like, here's the pitch, uh, or just basically a repurposed query of like what the book's about. Mm -hmm. And I've attached the manuscript. Let me know when you receive this. Can't wait to hear from you. Um, and then from there, you know, I'd usually be following up with them afterwards to be like, Hey, have you read this yet? I can't wait to hear what you think. Or like, or sometimes it's like, I just want to give you a heads up. I heard from someone else who read this and they're getting second reads. So like, you might want to read it soon. Now with the pandemic, there is like, I feel like some of those meetings with editors have resumed, um, but they're not quite as frequent or sometimes they're over Zoom, which is like a little bit different because you have usually less time to just kind of talk and like feel each other out. So I, I still do some of those meetings. Um, and then other times I might call someone and be like, oh my gosh, I have a project that's coming up that I'm really excited about. Like, I want to tell you about it. I like being able to get their reactions in real time just because if someone is really overwhelmed or it's like they're dealing with some life stuff or whatever, you can get that on the phone yes. when you wouldn't necessarily just get it on email. And then there are a couple editors now that, you know, I'm more than a decade into this career that like there are some editors that I know, like whenever I have something, if I think of them, they want me to send it to them. Mm -hmm. And so usually with those, those folks, I might just email them and be like, oh my God, I'm so excited. You're going to love this. So it, that's kind of like what the pitching is like. Yeah. And then, you know, hopefully in an ideal world, many of the editors read it and want it. And mm. then you have an auction where multiple of them editors are, are sending in offers. Um, Can I actually ask, like, how does the auction process work? Yes. I definitely heard of this. And I'm literally thinking they're like in an auction house, there's gals. And I'm like, that's probably not how it goes down. Yeah. Or is it? I'm it's like even better. <laughs> all via email. Um, sometimes, sometimes there will be some phone calls, but it for the most part, it's like, you know, usually the agent will set what we call like the auction guidelines. Um, so I'll say, hey, we're gonna have five. We have five people who are interested in this book. So I'm asking for everyone to send in their first bid by 10 a.m. on Monday morning, um, and then I'm letting them know usually that like. I'm going to get your first offers in. I'll come back to you and ask for improvements. And I want your improved or revised bid by 4 p.m. 
And then I'm going to ask for your final bid the next morning by 10 a.m. And then the author and I have all day to decide what we want to do um, and come back to you if we have any questions. And so usually it's just emails uh, going back and forth. Sometimes someone will call and be like, okay, but can you tell me what would happen if I gave you this much money or if I didn't <laughs> give you this thing? Like where it's like, you know, they're trying to get more information of like, will they get it? But a lot of times it's, you know, you're going back, back and forth over email and you're saying like, okay, our, like the high bid is six figures and it's like almost double what you offered here. So like you need to bring up your advance. Um, or sometimes it might be like, you know, oh, you are tied with another publisher for the high, high bid, um, but your royalties aren't as good. So like, could you give us some improvements on that? And usually like when you get to the very end and it's like everybody is either like kind of like, this is the best advanced level I can do. You might be asking for, for other things. Like it's really important to the author that their audiobook is published simultaneously with the hardcover. Like, can you guarantee that for us? Or it's, um, it's really important that we have the UK rights to submit to a UK publisher, um, or things like that. Like you're asking for different things. Um, yeah. it's always nice because then you can specifically be like, these are the things that publisher that I want from you. And because other people are interested, you have a little bit more leverage totally. than you do if you're just like, this is what I want. But yeah, so. I was like, I love it. That's more of like what my job entails. Definitely not. It, it, so I'm like, I understand that and um, love that hustle. <laughs> like, I think that that's awesome to be able to have that leverage. So I bet when it goes to auction, it's kind of like, Oh, good. We have a little bit more control over how the author is able to launch their their book, you know, which is always mm -hmm. nice to have more control over that. Um, but that's interesting. I've never heard anyone describe to me how an auction works. I so know. Well, thank I'm you. All, I need to know. It, it reminds me much a lot of uh, like if you're selling your home, actually, yeah. oh, and like totally. there's multiple people, you know, interested in it, and you're just like letting them all roll in. Who's got the right fit and vibe and what, you know, meeting your demands and things like, like that. So. Like in a seller's market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of yeah. Like Before I ever got into this, I thought of agents in publishing like Ari Gold from Entourage. Like, yes, as but like you know, probably less like sex and drugs than that. Entourage. Don't I don't know. Who books? knows what literary <laughs> agents are doing? <laughs> I, but um, but like that's what that was kind of my impression of like, oh my gosh, like they call and they yell at people and like whatever and. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes there is a little bit of that, but not as much. Yeah. Um, but I think that probably like we are really similar to like real estate agents or probably to music agents. There's yeah. more similarity, especially in the way that we are then like managing, like trying to manage the author's career and do and like help them with things behind the scenes versus mm -hmm. like, you know, it's kind of like once you sell a book, like, I've said to authors before, and I don't think they really understand it until you get further into your career, but like selling the book is like the first battle in the war. Like, where you're, sure. like yeah. it's the first step and it's great. And you should be so happy. But like, there's a lot that comes next that we will be doing. And, um, and so I think that I don't think Hollywood agents really work the same way in that respect. Well, that kind of brings me to my next question, which is film, because I know that Film deals is something that literary agents also have to have some knowledge in and that they help sell film rights or sometimes the publisher has the film rights and the publisher sells the film rights. And it kind of just depends on how their publishing contract works. And so can you give us a little bit more insight onto those film deals that your your authors get? Yeah, yeah. So um, so I would say that if your book as an author, if your book is your idea, you should always retain your film rights. Uh, the, should give it to the publisher unless it's like they came up to the idea with the idea and approached you. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's definitely my agent hat on. Um, but I would say that, you know, most of the time the, the author has their film rights and their agent either 
works with someone who like specializes in book to film rights or like they might know someone or they might like work with an entertainment attorney who will help Mm -hmm. negotiate the contract because the film contracts are really long. But usually what happens is that, you know, if you have a book to film agent or if your agent has contacts, they'll send the manuscript out to people um, and that they'll send it out to like, usually it's they send it to producers. Um, okay. Because producers have relationships with studios directly and not to get too into the weeds about film rights, but like somebody like Brad Pitt, who has his plan B production company, he works with a specific studio and that studio gives him money every year to be like, we want the first look at whatever projects you want to do. And so, so usually if he really wants something, he can take it to his stu- the studio that he works with. Um, and by him, it's probably someone who works for him, but mm-hmm. they could take it to the studio and be like, we love this. We really want to do this book. Like Brad loves this, you know, whatever. And the studio is more likely to listen to them than they are to just like an agent being like, I love this book, right? Because you're also, you're bringing a, some potential star power. You're bringing, you know, either Brad Pitt or his production company that has done like so many really big movies. So it's always easier to do it that way. And if you have, if you, if an author has a call with a producer um, and the producer is like, I really love your book. Like, I really want to like work on this. You want a situation where the author is like sort of choosing who's going to help them right? be the voice in the room, right? Because unless you're Stephen King and you've had a lot of movies made, then like the author's voice is the one that most of the time they're kind of kind of be like, oh, you're an author. Like, it's, it's okay. Right. So like, even if you have some kind of contractual involvement, which is sometimes hard to get, but like, even if you have that, there's a lot of people in that room that'll have a lot of opinions. And so you want someone else who understands at least the vision of the book, because not everyone in Hollywood is going to read the book either. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes some people will read the book, but like usually the studio head who's making the decision about like, are they going to give you money to option the rights? Are they actually going to make this book uh, when it gets to that, that stage? They're, they're not going to read the whole book. They might read a synopsis, uh, or they might have someone just tell them what it's about. Oh my gosh. That's fascinating. I was like, I once had a film agent tell me he was like so excited and he told me how he sold a book just from its log line. And he was very proud of that, which I get it. He sold a book and it actually did get made into a movie. Uh, But I was horrified because I was like, oh my God, you sold this book to someone and like they didn't read it. They just knew one line about it. I was like, it feels like cheating on a test or something. I'm all, what? I know. I I know. Well, and it's right. It's really hard to get a faithful adaptation if yeah. most of the people haven't read it. You know, so um, so I was like, oh, that's terrible. But like, basically, kind of how it works is like, if you if someone's interested, whether it's a studio or maybe it's a producer who's like, I see a vision for this, and I want to like get a writer and get some talent together, and then figure it out. Like whoever's whoever's offering to buy it. They're, what they're actually doing is they're offering to option the rights, which basically means they have a set period of time yes. where they can work on trying to put this movie together and you can't sell it anywhere else. Like you can't do anything else with it. And it's, it's basically an option to purchase because, mm-hmm. you know, an option price could be $5,000. Um, it could be more, but it's usually like right. a smaller amount. Whereas like the purchase price is actually like, we're purchasing these rights. We're moving forward. We are going to own them for this set amount of time, which is usually years. And if the movie actually gets made, it might be even longer. Um, and so like the purchase price is probably more like $500,000 or more. Right. Um, so I would say, someone explained it to me one time is that like probably like 1% of books actually get optioned and probably 1% of the things that are optioned actually get made. Yeah. Um, And so a lot of times you can get 
really far down the line. Like the book gets optioned. An option might be like they're going to have it for 12 months for $5,000. And at the end of that 12 months, they have they basically have the first right to be like, we're going to renew the option for another $5,000 for 12 more months. And things can keep going like that. Like you can have an option that's renewed seven or eight times, like for years. And in those times, like they might be like hiring a screenwriter who like writes a draft and they might be like, we don't love this. We're going to hire someone else who's going to rewrite the draft. Um, And you could have many writers involved. You could have an actor or a director or someone who signs on and is like, I love this. I want this to be my next thing. But if it's not, if the script's not ready and their next thing, like they have the time and something else comes up, they might be like, okay, never mind. I'm going to go do this other thing. Mm -hmm. So you'll have lots of people who come in and are are involved with it at different stages. Um, And so then from, it's like all of that hopefully is moving it closer to getting made. Um, And that is sometimes the, where like the value of a producer who read the book and really loves it and like gets the author's vision uh, can come in because they're the person who like every time there's a new screenwriter or a new person who's getting involved, they're the one that's hopefully helping make sure that everyone who's getting involved has the right vision for it. And they're hopefully continuing to push the project forward. Um, so I've had projects where, you know, a producer or someone has reached out to me and been like, do you have any like really good like publicity news or things or like are there things you can share with me that I can take into you know the head of universal because we're talking about like we're trying to convince him to basically spend what is millions of dollars on the budget for this film and like green light it and say like let's go um and so then that might be like me being like okay like i've put together all of these tiktoks for people who Mm -hmm. are like talking about how much they love the book and things like that so like sometimes they're like some like little weird things like that but um that was my question though is like how much influence there is uh, for how popular the book is just get, you know, like the traction and the popularity of a book, how much of that plays into them being like, oh, we should turn that into a movie and we may or may not read the book, but it's popular. <laughs> yeah. So it, it can depend. I, it's obviously like p- the popularity is always a really good thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like um, it can always help. The The tough thing is, is that books and movies and the like viewership of movies versus the readership of books, the numbers are so different. Obviously, like watching a two-hour movie is a two-hour time investment. Right. Whereas like reading a 500-page book is for most people more than a uh, (laughs) two-hour time investment. And I think I heard at one point, and this was several years ago, so I don't know what the statistics are now, but it was something like the idea that like, you know, 52% of the reading aged public reads at least a book a year of that group of people that all read at least one book a year. It's something like only 10% of those readers are what you would self-identify as passionate readers, as people who read more than 10 books in a year. And I remember hearing that and being like, oh my God, it's like such a small number. But like, that's obviously like, that's us, right? Like that's yeah. people in publishing. That's like the people on TikTok. That's yeah. like you guys, like, you know, that's, but we're like, we're a kind of a small group. And I think that's one of the things that publishers then have had a hard time with is like, how do you market to groups outside of ourselves? Like this mm, kind of like yeah. group of passionate readers who will take a chance on a book that they've never heard of um, by an author they've never heard of. Because, you know, a lot of times people who like are like, oh, I'm going to read a book on my vacation, like on my summer vacation, I'm going to read a book. And like, that's their one book a year. And like those people, the books that they're picking up are books that either are adapted, right? That it's like, oh, I saw this movie or I heard of this movie, so I'm going to read the book and then I'll watch the movie. Or they're picking up, they're like, oh, I know I love Lee Child and Jack Reacher. So I'll read that. Or I 
love Tina Fey, so I'll read her memoir or something. Like it's, they're picking up things they've already heard of. They're not taking a chance on a new debut book unless it does sort of like catch fire and become a really big success yes. outside of just the book world. And I think it was, it was during, during the height of the divergent movies. Yes. When they were coming out. Um, a lot of times before that, when people would say to me, like, Oh, so like you work in books, like, what do you do? And I would kind of give them an abbreviated version and they would say, like, well, do you, are there any books that you've worked on that I would know of? And I used to always say to people, like, well, I, like, I don't represent divergent, but my boss does. And, before the movies, it was like hit or miss. Some people would be like, oh yeah, Divergent. Like my sister read that or like my, you know, my niece read that or something. Or you'd get some people that were like, oh yeah, I love, I loved the Hunger Games and I read Divergent afterwards. And then it was as the movies, I'll never forget. I was like, (laughs) I was in a bank dropping something off and like someone had asked me like what I did and I was having that conversation. And there was a movie theater down the street that was showing Divergent at the time. And I said, well, have you heard of Divergent? And they were like, oh yeah, isn't that a movie? And I was like, well, it was a book first. And <laughs> like my boss represents the book. And they were like, oh, that's really cool. Um, and But it really took that sort of like level of visibility of the fact of there is a movie to reach people who are sort of beyond that, like, niche like, you reader. Know, people who, yeah. yeah, who aren't on Goodreads or like aren't really looking at book talk or bookstagram yeah. or whatever. Um, so it's, it's so different. So, like, I might say this book sold 11,000 hardcover copies last week. And we all might be like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's so yeah. good. Like, that's so rare. Um, but if I told that to Hollywood people, they're, you know, they're thinking about movies and wanting millions of people to go see it mm. in the theater on a weekend. So they're kind of like, okay, is that good? Like they don't have the same frame of reference. Yeah. So a lot of times you like, you can show popularity different ways. Um, and so I did find that like showing them people who are so excited that they've gotten a tattoo based on the author's right. book. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that shows fandom, right? Like yeah. that shows like these people are, are going to come out for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's bad. Um, but <laughs> I'm like the, seriously there. Yeah. Like, I'll be yeah. There. <laughs> but, um, but if I'm like, here are the sales numbers, they might be like, okay. Like, right. Gotcha. So, so you have to kind of pick and choose what you're sharing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it sounds like the more you're describing, I'm like literary agents, good ones. It seems like have to be very scrappy. And be like super adaptable. And like sometimes you're collecting stuff for marketing purposes. Sometimes you're doing PR. You're doing like cleanup. Sometimes you're like pitching and selling. So you really have a a lot of hats that you have to wear as an agent. And is there a specific hat, literary hat that's your favorite or or agent hat that's your favorite where you're like, this is what I love the most about my job? I, I think my favorite, right, is the reason I got into this was loving to read. So like when an author is like, Hey, I just, I wrote a thing and I don't know what it is yet, but like, could you look at it? That, some of that's my favorite where it's like, I don't know anything about it going in and I start to read something and I'm, you're just like, Oh my God, it's so good. I know you guys had talked recently to Rebecca Ross and there was a a project when she wrote A River Enchanted. Mm -hmm. She sent me the manuscript and I did know like a little bit about what she was working on and, it wasn't her first book, obviously. So like I, I knew her writing style and everything, but she sent it to me and was kind of like, I don't know if this is why I like, but like, could you just read it and tell me what it is? And, um, and I read it and was like, well, you could go YA with it if you made some of these changes or you could go adult with it and make some of these changes. And we had a whole conversation about it. And like, that's, definitely probably like one of my favorite hats because it you really are like you're seeing something so early and being involved in the conversations that the author is then going to use to sort of shape it into the book it's going to be um and that 
sort of really speaks to, you know, what I love about books. Yeah. I do. I will also say, and this is from wearing a lot of different hats and being involved in so many different stages of the process. I do also find like there's so such a greater sense of reward when something really takes off or does really well um, or wins an award or something like that, because you've really been with the author every step Mm. of the way. Like it's, you were involved from day one of like the, you know, being like, where are we going to send this book Um, to, you know, being involved in the like cover conversations and, um, marketing and publicity conversations and maybe even in conversations where it's like you're wearing like a little bit of a therapist hat or yeah. things like that like you're involved so much that the I think the rewards are even sweeter than if I was just involved in like yeah. one portion of it yeah um so I do really love that too oh my gosh yeah I have so many questions um I'm gonna follow it up with can you tell us on average or even for you how many uh, authors you represent basically at a time. Yes. I don't know if there's a standard um, on this, but I would say I was going to look at my spreadsheet, but I would say like I have about 30 authors who are actively oh, okay. writing. Perfect. That's a lot. Uh, and I mean, my first boss, he had like 60 authors and obviously it was a different time, but I don't know how. <laughs> That's a lot. I don't know That's how I would ever do that. For being that involved, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Um, but, um, but so I have about 30 authors and I mean, some of them are authors who are writing like standalones and maybe like even more literary standalones. So like they're doing a book every couple years. Uh, and then I have a couple authors, I have two authors who write in the romance genre. And so they're writing two or three books a year. And then I would say the majority of my authors kind of fall in more of a one book a year sort of space. But it definitely does become like if you have a lot of authors who are all doing those like two to three books a year, yeah. 30 authors could be 65 books in a year. But um, but I would say like for the last several years, I've had somewhere between like 35 to 38, like on average, like books come out each year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of those book launches require a lot more time mm. and planning than others. But no matter what no matter what the publisher is doing, like the author is always doing something. And so the agent then is always involved in what the author's doing. Even if it's like an author who's like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do. You're still having conversations with them about like what their plans are and like, are there things you can ask the publisher to help them with and things like that. So there's always, there's always some involvement. So like, it's almost kind of like the number of authors on an agent's list has to translate a little bit to like how many books come mm-hmm. out in a given year because that's tends to eat up a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think we have time for one more question. And so we kind of try with our guests to ask them the same question at the very end, which is what book are you reading right now? Well, like everyone else in our space, probably I did just finish reading. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. So when you finish, we should talk. But I did just finish that. And then I I was on a plane on Wednesday and I finished it. And then I also, I have the new, the brand new copy of Ink Girls by Marika Nykamp. Um, And the art is that it's illustrated by Sylvia Bai. Um, It's middle grade. It's a fantasy. It's very good. Um, And I I read obviously a much earlier draft, um, Mm -hmm. but I, I read... I read a lot of it before all the art was done. And so I have been so excited to sort of like read it again in that I I love reading the books on my list at the end when it's like, I don't have to do any work on these. There's not there's yeah. no reason for me to like look for typos or anything like I could just sit and read it and enjoy it as a finished product. And so I, I do a lot of, I do a lot of that, like once the book comes out. So this book comes out next week. Um, and I'm very excited. And so it is the book that this weekend I plan to sit down with and just enjoy as if I was a reader and not an agent. Well, I'm like, have a wonderful, it's like a holiday week. So I'm like, just dive in. And I personally, both of us love 
putting middle grades on our list. Yes. And so we definitely read in that genre as well. And so that sounds lovely. Well, I'm like, well, just to follow up, if anyone is interested, if you're available or open for inquiries, are you? Oh, yeah, that's a great. I am available and open for inquiries. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I I always say to people that, you know, if you're if you're querying that um I would recommend that you check out some of the other agents at New Leaf. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Hill, who yes. was once Joanna Volpe's assistant, is like so great. She is just amazing. She comes from marketing, so she's got such great instincts. Um, and she's really like building her list okay. in a way that I'm not, right? Like she doesn't have 30 some books out right. next year. But so I, I do always try to refer people to other agents okay. as well. But I am open. And if someone queries me and it's not right for me, I do really try to pass it along to someone else on the team in case. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you. We will link to that in our notes as well. Mm -hmm. So people are interested. But yeah, thank you so much, Susie, for coming on and answering so many of our questions. I have more. We might have (laughs) to do another follow up. But yeah, this is delightful. Yes. No, thank you guys. Okay. Thanks, Susie. All right, reader. Thank you for listening to the Lit Drive podcast. Make sure to rate and review us. And like a good book, don't forget to recommend us to your friends.